Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's episode is a little bit different from normal. Um, our guest this week is Johannes. Johannes is a lead level designer from a, a company called Toadman Interactive. Uh, Toadman Interactive just released a video game called Immortal Unchained. Um, if you've been paying attention to my Twitter at all, or if you've been paying attention or listening to me on Twin Humanities or listening to Twin Humanities, uh, you know that I have become a huge fan of this game. It gives me some very, very real and very good Demon Souls, Dark Souls vibes. Um, I think you could reductively call it Souls with Guns, but it's a little bit more than that. Um, I've had a great time playing through it. I'm on my second playthrough. Uh, I'm planning on at least one more and possibly even doing like a lore video or a, uh, kind of an introductory video because I just, I want more people to know about this game. So uh, in the effort of introducing people to this game, I asked the developer if any of their people had played Dark Souls uh, or, and wanted to come on the podcast and talk about their experiences as well as, of course, talk about the game itself. I was I was pretty surprised and extremely excited when um, they got me in touch with Johannes, who again, lead level designer <laughs> um so me and him sat down and recorded for about an hour and talked about mostly immortal unchained there's a little bit of dark soul stuff in there it's not the usual kind of in-depth you know where did you get started what do you want to see from from software kind of kind of stuff we, we talk a lot about immortal unchained for the most part um we don't do any story spoilers i think i talk about the name of one boss we talk a lot about the areas and things like that so there's some names stuff drawn dropped uh, but if you want to go in 100% blind, I would recommend going to play the game before listening to this. However, if you listen to this first, hopefully you will get excited to go play that game. That's the whole reason I wanted to do this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy the episode. mostly responsible for just creating environments and mainly combat scenarios, but also a bit like distributing loot and focusing a bit about on the end game content as well, or or if you can call it that, like the, the yeah, the end game content. Mm-hmm. So where I guess I guess where did Immortal Unchained start? Um, if that's <laughs> like where. That's a really good question. <laughs> I'm not really sure okay. myself, but I think it started like three years ago. Oh, wow. I think because mm-hmm. we we started doing like we didn't really know what kind of game we wanted to do, uh, and we had the opportunity to create almost anything we liked, and we started prototyping and one. The first, I think the first prototype of what would become Immortal was more of a open-world game, I think. We had this open environment, and, and you were supposed to like maybe explore it any way you felt like. It was not as linear as Immortal is today. But somewhere after that, I think we realized that we didn't really have the resources to do it because Dogma was a really small company back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of switched switched gears a bit and switched focus and said that we wanted to do something something more linear. And we've been discussing <laughs> Dark Souls a lot at the office, even though I'm not that experienced with it. I think I have maybe through 30 hours in the first Dark Souls game, okay. which is kind of kind of a little compared to what people <laughs> how much people actually play uh, I play the second one a bit I think I own Bloodborne but I haven't started playing it yet because I've, I have so much in my backlog that I need to play but I'm li- really looking forward to it So I'm but, curious just real quick have you have you played Demon Souls at all by chance? actually I've I've started playing it I have it mm-hmm. I bought I think I bought a PlayStation 3 that was backwards compatible because there's so many PlayStation 2 games that I've never played. Oh, yeah. And I bought Demon's Souls and I started playing it, but I got this bug or an issue where, like, 
<laughs> large portions of the environments was missing or it was oh weird um, hmm. yeah it just disappeared which was super weird so i i think i just tried it for an afternoon and then and tried to get it to run but it wouldn't work so, so what we, you guys said you, you and, and the the staff were discussing Dark Souls um, this being a couple of years ago. Like obviously, Dark Souls was a, a kind of a huge presence in the in the gaming yeah. landscape because um, the first one came was... out and kind of just almost changed things uh, a little bit with the way that people yeah, yeah. were telling stories well, and, and designing games. How was that effect on on Toadman specifically? Well, to be fair, they they like they created a whole genre of games, so it's. it's they made a real impact in both the gamer and game development communities, I think. Uh, and yeah, we have a lot of fans at Toadman. <laughs> we were fans of, of the Soul Series, uh, and we because we we were in the same offices as Fat Shark, I think, four years ago or something like that. And they kind of saw us as like. <laughs> the soul studios back then because we just talked about dark souls all the time <laughs> or some people talked about dark souls all the time <laughs> i love that yes uh, absolutely so, yeah. <laughs> so it felt kind of natural trying to create like something in that genre i think but at the same time we wanted to create something of our own and not like make a like a full copy of dark souls we wanted to have some kind of twist to it and i think after experimenting a while, I think that's where the guns came into the picture. Like trying to get, trying to create like a mid-range combat, but still keep some of the, like the soul from the Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because um, for a long time on this podcast, I, I asked people the question, um, what do you want to see from, from software in the future? Like what's your dream from software game? And uh a lot of it was, you know, Bloodborne Two or um, Sci-Fi Souls, and, uh, but there's a there's a small number of people that basically said like I want I really want to see an engine I want to see a game that can do this but with you know with guns I like I want to see like a little bit more oh, modern cool. modern version of this and um, well there you go I'll, I'll be very upfront in saying like I never in my a million years thought that that would work <laughs> I have said on this podcast like that's a crazy idea what are you talking about there's no way and. Um, I was there so was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I was so surprised when I started playing and finally clicking with the combat in Immortal Unchained because it's it is it is very much that it's that kind of slow, steady pace and it's that deliberate movement, um, but with the the same kind of combat satisfaction and the combat feeling that you get from uh, either a Demon Souls or a Dark Souls one, and it's. Yeah. just very satisfying like i have to say like it's it's something that i personally would have never ever thought worked until like you said you bled and you sweat and you cried into it and made a made a thing and then put it out in front of people so yeah well thank you it's, it's really great thing you know it's i'm super appreciative when in this process do you start talking or do you start designing the the, the levels of of immortal uh, I'd, I'd say from the start mm-hmm. i think there, there was like two roads because I, I was the only level designer at the company back then, so I had kind of had complete responsibility for all the levels. And there were two things I did because uh, we knew we wanted like a full intersected world, uh, or that was the initial idea, at least. So we created, or I created, I think the first iteration of all the levels were just uh, like small <laughs> plain boxes that you can walk on. I mean, super, super simple. Uh, and just to start to connecting the whole world together and see like where, where do you want this boss fight, for instance, or how do we want this boss to be interlooped together? Uh, and that was only I mean, super, super simple boxes. And we started because the whole game is streamed. I don't know if you know about technology, but what you do is that, like you load the next level while you play the first one. So so there's no loading times between the levels. Sure. So we started really early, just cutting up the world into portions that we will stream. 
Uh, and another part of the early development was because I, from our prototypes, we had uh, three different sets of environments, kind of. We had like this uh, rocks and foresty environment with trees and bushes and stuff. And we had, we had a medi- almost medieval castle as well. Mm-hmm. And then I think we had like a sci-fi indoors environment. Uh, so we said that we'll take those kinds of environments and make them into three different worlds. So that was our foundation of the three worlds from, from the start. And then because we're, since we're such a small company, it's really important that we work efficiently and use what kind of resources we have. Uh, so we wanted to use that as a foundation and we thought about how to use these assets but try to create as much variety in the environments as we could. And that's where, uh, like the, what's it? <laughs> I can't remember the names of the world. Cause we, <laughs> 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 that's the thing as well. We had, we had different game names of all the levels. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Throughout the whole development. And then we just changed them at the end. Um, but Arden, Viridian in, and, uh, Apexion are the ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Viridian, which is like the more organic of the worlds, that's based on the, the tree environment we had from the start. So uh, from from those sets, we were able to build caves. So we did like a watery, cold cave, which is the first level in Viridian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we used, yeah, and then we took, like, we used mostly trees to create, uh, to create, what is it called? The forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it opens uh, up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it opens up a bit, and mm-hmm. it uses mostly the tree, tree assets we used. And that was kind of our mentality as well, to see what we had and how we could use it to create as much variety as we could. And then, I think, because I, I personally have like a, a library of uh, pictures of environments that I, I always go to, to find inspiration. Uh, so I kind of took, I think I took like a 300 pictures from that library or something like that and divided them into, I think it was 15 levels from the start. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, just to, to inspire myself and try to uh, just create a mood board of how I wanted the environments to look like. One of the things that impressed me when I was going through uh, the the first area, which was Arden, which was kind of the, like you start out on a snowy precipice. Um, actually, yeah. and, lis- and listeners out there, um, if you haven't played Immortal Unchained, uh, I, we're going to stay pretty far away from story spoilers. Uh, like I'm not going to really talk about lore or anything like that. So I don't want to spoil your experience with the game, but we will be obviously getting detailed. <laughs> we will be having detailed conversations about uh, the the landscape, the levels, and things like that. So uh, feel free to listen. But if you want a complete, like, one hundred percent spoiler free kind of experience with the game, go go out and buy it. Pause this podcast, buy the game, play it, finish it, and then come back to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of hard not to spoil the game if we're going to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the uh, but the, one of my one of the things that first struck me in Arden was that I was uh, I was progressing through a sense of place uh, more than I was going through kind of just a level. You start out on these rocky cliffs. Uh, you kind of go into this uh, like almost military militarized like outdoor area. Um, yeah. As you progress further in the game, you realize that that's the outskirts of a, this enormous factory that's creating <laughs> all kinds of weird stuff. Um was that was that an idea or was that a uh, goal when you when you set out to start creating to start putting kind of context around these 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 boxes that you were making to make it more of a sense of place than than a level like did you were you trying to do that to to make everything come together and and if so like how like that has to be the most difficult thing in the world to actually kind of take that from a real world and then incorporate that into a game and then also like make combat encounters work on top of that, which <laughs> seems like just infinitely complex yeah. to me. Yeah. It took some time <laughs> and iterations, but I, I think, I think one of the core aspects we wanted from all the levels was that we wanted, uh, 
all the environments to have a reason for being there. Like they had a purpose and they did something. Like there was something they were doing inside these environments. They had a, like a bit of a story to them. And I think Arden is a great example because I think from from me or from my initial uh, idea of how Arden was supposed to be, that it was the whole world is almost like a factory for creating these creatures. But each uh, each small environment had their own purpose in creating these creatures. Like in, you know, I think in, it's in Halavats that and that's from the initial. Yeah, that's where the creature were created, mm-hmm. and I think I don't want to spoil too much because this is narrative stuff as well, and I don't think everything is explained in the game as well. Uh, but each environment in that world has its own purpose for creating this these creatures. Yeah, and you and as you travel throughout the game, you you pick up um, lore items, or enemies will drop lore items that you collect, and they kind of shed just just the tiniest bit of of light onto to what's happening in the story. Um, and it's it was kind of fascinating because, uh, and I've talked about this on the Twin Humanities podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Twin Humanities quite a bit because they are the people that got me into this, and have gotten like at least ten or fifteen people that I know <laughs> into Immortal Unchained, um, but. It was. I talked about this quite a bit. They, as I was collecting these items and as I was going through the level, it was, I was getting story on t- on two different. I hate to say levels because I just use that word so much, but um, you know, the environment was telling me one thing. I was collecting these lore items to to. They were telling me a second thing that was kind of making the two of them better than the sum of its parts. If that if that makes sense, and it was just really impressive. That's 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 the kind of stuff like when. That's that's the kind of stuff that makes me love Dark Souls or or Demon mm-hmm. Souls is that, you know, that's all of these things are there and it's not just because they're Mario needs a Goomba to push in like it's it's because somebody has put some forethought into why that exists. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that yeah, I think that's that's definitely something we took from the or was inspired from from the Soul series is that we wanted to create a story outside the original story kind of like we wanted really to tell a story about the world not just the mission you're on mm-hmm. kind of and then and we also wanted to put our own touch to it and i think that's where the or we wanted to flesh it out a bit more than the soul series does even though i, I love how the soul series handle it where there's so many interesting interesting theories everywhere about about everything well let's just say so many theories we don't have to go all the way to interesting (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding i love all my youtube people they know it (laughs) yeah but yeah there's so much and i think that's that's what inspiring these stories as well is that you don't give everything away but we still wanted to give a bit more than they did and i think that's where the those these lore items come in how closely do you, do you work with um, those, the, the, I guess, the writers and the, the, the storytellers of the game? Like, do they come to you and say, you know, we're, we, we've changed the way that, you know, uh, one of the enemies in the game is the Queen of Death. We've changed this part of the Queen of Death, and now we want this level to reflect that. Like, is that kind of an ongoing evolution as you, as you build uh, the game? Yeah, I'd rather say that's an ongoing battle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we talk a lot about it, and I think that's that's what interesting with the game development because we we kind of there's so many thoughts and ideas and disciplines that has to cooperate and trying to create something that's I don't know logical in the end or makes sense in the end, uh, and it can be frustrating sometimes if I've created a level that. The, the narrative people just change the narrative of all of a sudden because it doesn't fit and forces me to, to change the level in certain ways. But at the same time, it's, it's also frustrating for them when I, when I change my levels and they have to change the narrative. story. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to get kind of get along somehow. So there's, there's like always discussions about everything. It's um it's one of those things that like the more I've learned about game development over the last 
you know, however many years that I've been paying attention to it. I just, I have no idea how any game ever gets finished and put it onto a shelf <laughs> somewhere. It just, it, it boggles the mind almost. Oh, it's a lot of work. Blood, sweat, and tears. Let's say. The, uh, I, w- I want to talk about the combat encounters a little yep. bit. Um, I'm going to stick to Arden on this one because uh, I, I was kind of fascinated with this. Um, so I played through the the first section of Arden and then um there was a there there's a point in the game that uh we've been calling the an Orlando moment <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> when when like a big thing that kind of changes maybe your your idea of what the game is um or what it what it's going to do so I played through Arden for the first time and then after this an Orlando moment I said oh I'm going to go through I'm going to play through that first section again because you know there's there's chests that I didn't open or maybe there's paths that I was too terrified to go down to because I only had so many bullets uh, but now I am big warrior man and I can take anything um so when I played that again there there's I noticed that uh, there were there were paths that I could take that went around places to, to let me approach enemies from different sides. And as I was playing through it the second time, I realized, oh, if I was using, say, like a sniper rifle, I, I could take this path and I could approach them from the side as opposed to what I was doing, which was, you know, shotguns, getting up in people's grills and just mowing them down with an automatic shotgun, which is so much fun. Uh, how, I guess, how specific did you think about... Uh, players approaching the levels with different weapons like when because i'm sure the the weapons are an like an ongoing evolution <laughs> like i'm sure you're still yeah, tweaking and, and adding those kind of things so by and, the t- and enemies as well and as enemies well as, as well levels. sure yeah. yeah how what is that process like do you do you start from when you start with that empty box do you think okay i want a a sniper guy to be able to approach this one way versus a shotgun guy to go another way or does that develop over time as you kind of play test and Um, prototype i'd say it's both Mm -hmm. i'd say i think it's not something we thought about in every encounter but we have encounters that are like these this is the way you should approach it as a sniper this is the way you should approach it as like someone with a shotgun but probably not all encounters. And then usually I think we have like an idea for a scenario and we try it out. And then someone responsible for the enemies changes how an enemy works or someone responsible <laughs> for, for the weapons changes how the weapons work. So it's, yeah, it's a constant evolution. And I think we, we changed all combat scenarios, just the, like the placement of the enemies and what type of enemies you encounter, like several times in each encounter. And it's the same for the weapons, because I think those three things are kind of what makes up balance as well. Mm-hmm. Balance is such an important part of these types of games. Uh, and it's so hard to really get right as well, because you want it to be challenging, but you don't want it to be too frustrating as well. And it's it's interesting because the you guys have the the healing system that you do is a you know a a set amount of healing items um, and it's very very low when you first start the game you have a set amount of ammunition that you can reload with consumable items um, but for the most part you you really just want to go from obelisk to obelisk with you know using all of your healing items and using all of your ammo as as judiciously as possible so yeah. it. And the thing that I always found when I was playing through the game is that I, I could do that. There were very, very few times where I would get it to somewhere and I would think, okay, I have, let me rephrase. There were several times where I got into the middle, into the middle of nowhere and I had no idea where I was, but then I realized, oh, I just missed something. <laughs> <laughs> the game, the game seems to be very well balanced in that way to get you from obelisk to obelisk with a reasonable amount of difficulty, but also the, you know, to not completely destroy you, um, which I think is really good because I think that um, a lot of people who, a lot of game developers who go to the Souls games for inspiration just don't pay attention to that whatsoever. And that was one of the great things about Dark Souls 1 was the way that Estus was balanced between bonfires. Again, I'm I'm sure that's a lot of playtesting and a lot of work on your part. Is that something that, you know, after... You know, are you going home at night and kind of playing through and trying to figure out like, am I am I really good at this, or can a normal player play this? Are you are you trying to watch other people play it? Like, I'm just kind of curious how how that balancing is done. Yeah, definitely, because can, you kind of come to a point pretty early in the development where when what you're when you are playing as a developer isn't representable 
for what a I don't know normal person that doesn't know how the game works or looks or or doesn't know everything about the game. So we took in we called focus testers pretty mm-hmm. early in development who tried it out and we were really specific to not give any information at all while they played it as well. And we looked on at how they played. And we yeah, of course we took people from the office as well to try out certain areas of the game that they haven't played before just to see how uh how they played and what they found and how they did to encounter certain can you think of a uh, like a specific example that you went back and maybe changed part of the level based on on that sort of feedback that you could share um i'm sure there's a thousand of them so i hate to put you on the spot <laughs> <laughs> i have to think for a bit but I, I think um i think that a place that we changed a bit is because we had this iteration pass where we went through all the levels and kind of created alternative paths and small shortcuts everywhere or sections of the game that's just optional where you can find some kind of loot or something like that. And my my personal favorites are the parts that kind of loops back to an obelisk. Mm-hmm. I think this one in... Uh, in just the first the first level of Viridian, because uh, the first obelisk in Viridian is kind of hidden. Yes. A bit hidden. And, <laughs> and also very hard to get to if you have no idea what you're doing to the game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But we kind of wanted that because that's, that's a reward in Absolutely. itself. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Finding mm-hmm. that obelisk. Because we wanted to have that feeling that like, if a player doesn't explore they kind of have to suit themselves (laughs) (laughs) kind of but but we wanted people to actually explore and like if they have problems with that with an area there's always an option to explore it because there are always uh, other solutions to it and i don't know if you know this but if you like when you're just at the top of the obelisk in the first obelisk in uh, in viridian there's a ladder going down to it again Mm-hmm. So you can kind of it kind of cuts level in half. So there's only I think in the first section there's only one obelisk until you well the first section actually from a technical perspective is it's it ends just before the second obelisk in region. That's where we cut the level and stream in the next. Uh, so the first section, which is kind of like a big cave, uh, that's a separate section. Gotcha. Okay. from my perspective uh, so so that and you can reach that obelisk in I think two or three different ways uh, you can reach it from the start actually you can just jump down in the water and run to it yeah I uh, I learned that recently um, after <laughs> after finishing the game I learned that little trick uh, so <laughs> yeah. I might I might have to bleep that out of this podcast so I don't let anybody else know that knowledge <laughs> <laughs> But then, yeah, that's the first tr- way to do it, and then then just just enter the little cave, and then there's um there's a way to drop down through ladders just above it as well, and the ladder is hidden behind a bush, so it's really hard to find. But I think the the main way to find it is through that cave, mm-hmm. which is semi visible. Uh, it's not that hard to find, but the the other two ways was added quite long after the level was finalized so we kind of went back to a lot of the obelisk and tried to figure out like small ways to get back to it in instead of creating new obelisks because we wanted to really cut down on the amount of obelisks as well and i think from my perspective there's two types of obelisks there's like super visual ones that's super easy to find and then there's those that are hidden as well what um one of the more interesting things about Immortal Unchained uh, while we're talking about obelisk and also the armor shrines is that the the environment kind of just naturally leads you to them. Uh, one of the one of yeah. the big one of the big tips that we've been giving new players as they pick up the game is you know pay attention to those tentacles that you know, they're, they're going to lead <laughs> yeah. you to good places. Uh, that's something we added quite late as well, as well because we wanted to have uh, like some way to guide the player towards those obelisks, but we didn't want it to be too visual and, and too obvious. 
So we wanted to give them a hint, just like it, once you learn that the tentacles leads you to an obelisk, the game gets quite easier, I'd say. I, I don't know what it says about me as a person, but I, I kept expecting throughout the, the entire course of the game for that to be a, uh, for the game to troll me in some way and to lead me <laughs> directly into a boss encounter or something, <laughs> right, without, without me expecting yeah, it. That would uh, be really great. <laughs> I'm, Mortal un- I'm Mortal Unchained too, everybody. That's what is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I actually had an idea for uh, one of the latest levels where you just like a floating islands and they're kind of connected to, through portals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had this idea to make it in, or we tried it out, but it, it became too hard. Uh, we tried them out just to randomize or kind of randomize, not make it a post linear. So when you enter a portal, you kind of get lost in this labyrinth of portals. And if you went back to the, in the same portal as well, you'd end up in, on another island. So, so it would be super easy to get lost. Okay. And that kind, of makes, that kind of makes the obelisks your enemies as well, because all the enemies respawn once you, once you interact with an obelisk. And I, I, my theory was that it would be much easier to complete the level without touching any obelisks. Oh, interesting. But, so you, the, the yeah. obelisk would almost be a temptation for the player. Uh, yeah, kind of. They would have to realize, like, oh, wait, no, I want to skip this because I yeah. I, I can get through this. I, know, I have enough equipment or enough ammunition or whatever to, to be able to get through it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah and, and the player would probably end up at the same island several times as well. So it would be easier if they kill all the enemies in the island and not respawn them because they might end up at the same island like three or four times types during a playthrough if they didn't know the exact way to go but we tried it out and it became just too frustrating it didn't work unfortunately. <laughs> um there's there's two areas of the game where uh me and uh my, my twin humanities friends found the most difficulty and i think this is going to speak to the the balance of the game because uh the area where the shotgun guys had the most difficulty were not the area that the the sniper guys had the most yeah. difficulty uh <laughs> Um, the the first one I think that the a player would encounter is what's affectionately being called belly flop swamp, um, with just the the, the <laughs> yeah, zillions of, of, of green dudes. Yeah, thank you, Coffee Jesus from Joint Humanities for belly flop swamp. We, we love it. Um, and then there's another area in Apexion, uh, which is we just called the stairs, uh, which is kind of like an approach to this this massive citadel, and uh, both of which I. Because I've played the game, um, I've, I finished the game once, and I've started up a new, another playthrough because I wanted just to use different weapons and different, like take a different approach to the game. Um, it's it's interesting to me that different players would have different feedback on that and have make it. It would be di- more difficult depending on what weapons you use. How how hard is it to hear like responses like that? How, how hard is it to hear like? Oh man, the stairs are so hard; it's barely barely doable, and not want to go back and like adjust it a little bit. Or do, do, do you have to do you have to hold yourself back from that? <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And the same goes when I'm trying and stuff because I'm not that experienced with these kind of games, and I'm not a good player. And I I always die when I play this; like I can't finish the first level. It's <laughs> so frustrating not like not go in and make it easier and you have you have to kind of always remember that you are creating a quite challenging game which is it's really really hard really really frustrating is, is it also tempting to um nudge it in the game's direction as well to like make to, to make it overly hard like is it easy to fall into that trap where it's make it impossible yeah i think that's the hardest part of of creating this kind of game is, is that you want a, a difficulty or a challenge to be somewhere in the middle. Like it, it shouldn't be too easy so you can just run through it, but it, it can't be too hard because that's just gets frustrating and people stop playing it. I think that's it's kind of because that's that's what I remember though in that Anolanda moment with the 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 guy with a is it crossbow or is it a bow mm-hmm. on the ledge of the building, uh, and I think I played it like thirty or forty times or something, and it got so frustrating. And I think it's, I love that it existed, and I love that 
we kind of have similar moments in the mortal, but you can't have them everywhere. You just want one or two uh, sections of the game that's that's super super hard because that's kind of what is rememberable as well. And I'm I'm so happy that the belly flop swamp became so <laughs> memorable because I think that that was added. I added that to to break up the pace of the game a bit and mm-hmm. increase some kind of um, variation because it's not really a combat encounter. I'd say. Like you, you, there's two ways of, of completing it. Like you cannot kill all the belly flop monsters, or whatever you call them, uh, and there's just avoiding them as well and avoiding all the traps. And I wanted to create. I think that that's add that adds a bit of variety to the game and breaks up the pace. And I, I'm, that's one of the sections I'm real proud of as well. Yeah, it's um, because up to that point. You, you're approaching everything very slowly and very methodically. Like the, you know, you're, at least I was as a player. I shouldn't say, you know, I shouldn't assume for everybody, but for me, um, the enemies leading up to that are pretty difficult. The the, the dual wielding axe dudes are are pretty pretty gnarly at that, that that early on. So you're you're trying to conserve ammo and trying to get behind them. And then there's also shield guys and snipers that are shooting at you. And then all of a sudden you get to this area and you've seen these, these enemies before. So you know what they do, but then all of a sudden there's like 20 of them <laughs> there and they're everywhere. Uh, Actually in the middle of the development, I think there were twice as many because oh, it, it was a bit too hard. And I, I removed some of the traps as well. Yeah. The traps are, are, are something else. The traps were, um, it's, I, I I like the traps a lot because every time they get me, I know it's my fault and I hate them. And uh, that's that's something that that, that a, a really good game does is where it make you think that it makes you do something and it it makes you realize that it was your fault for doing it and that it makes you hate it all the more for it. So <laughs> I think that's something we had like took into all of the discussions as well. Like we really really have to think about when we design stuff. Really have to think about designing stuff that we can blame the players. Of when they die, like it should always be the player's fault. It should never be the game's fault. Sure, mm-hmm. that would, that's always been like a, a fundamental philosophy while while developing this game. So, during the course of um, uh, of development, uh, I mean, you mentioned at the very beginning that you kind of started with three areas. Um, as those developed over time, one of the things that I love about them is something that you mentioned is that you just you went back through and added various shortcuts and tried to re- really reduce the amount of obelisk in the game. Um, obelisk, by the way, listeners are bonfires <laughs> for shorthand. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're kind of your rest points. Um, and then in the, in kind of the second half of the game, you, you, you go back and you revisit all of these other different areas were, and, and just for the sake of simplicity and for, to not really spoil anything, let's just say like Arden one versus Arden two or, you know, Viridian one versus Viridian two, all of those, all of those areas kind of evolve from there and get bigger and grander and they, they scale up dramatically. Was that part of the original design process or did you come back later and go, okay, now we've got these, these simple boxes, let's make some more complex boxes behind them and refine from there. Uh, yeah, I'd say it was because you kind of want this feeling of that the game progresses or that you progresses within the game. So you want to save the, like the more grand environments to the later parts of the game in order to feel like both that the player gets better, but also that like the encounters and the environments get better as well. So absolutely. It's uh, absolutely one of the four core ideas that we had. And as you, as you play through, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there's, there's various portals scattered throughout the game that kind of connect to different spots. Um, those were some real eye-opening moments for me because you know you're you're playing through an area that's uh, very similar to the past area. You know it's 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 evolved, but then you see a portal and like it's oh wow now I'm in Tatooine basically. Like I don't know, I don't know how I got here. Uh, <clears throat> was it was it always the plan to have those kind of connections between these otherwise disparate uh, lands or areas? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I'm I'm kind of sad that we didn't add more to them. I wanted the levels to be a bit more connected to each other, and to create like more more a feeling of an open, connected world than mm-hmm. it is, and break up the linearity in the game. 
but absolutely that was something we added very early. But there's there's also two different portals. Uh, there's one portal that just moves you to another point in the in the level or in the world, mm-hmm. and then there's something we call remnant worlds. I don't know if they're called remnant worlds. They are. The final mm-hmm. game. They are. The okay, thing. cool. Mm-hmm. Which are like kind of end game content, which has a all of them has a bit of a twist to them, or some kind of more challenging encounter, or more of a bit of an Easter egg thing. Yes, um, I, I don't want to spoil any of that here, but I will say as you as you play through the game and you get to any doors that require like thirty of the keys that you pick out throughout, like the cerium decrees, cerium decrees, cerium decrees, cerium decrees. Definitely, definitely go and collect as many of those as you can and go through those doors. There's some. Um, there's one with. Um, I'm just going to say a large number of pods. Maybe if people who have played the game probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, that are, that is extremely great. That I had a, just a blast through. There's some um, there's some real nifty Easter eggs and some real uh, kind of mind breaking lore implications of like what were they doing here kind of situations that uh, I, I think were, was really impressive because a lot of them don't even have combat. And then the end bosses like the the, the kind of post end game content uh, are yeah, all re- really interesting. Like I, I like the way that you would find those doors. And they would be areas in previous levels that you w- wouldn't be able to physically get to, but you could look down and see the rest of the level on from where you were at. I thought that was a real neat idea. Like it's having that, like once you kill this difficult boss, you look around like, oh, wait a minute, I'm right here. Like I know where I am. <laughs> yeah, I like that as well. And I, we, yeah, we really wanted to get that feeling from players as well. And like remembering certain areas as well. Going back to them. What you know, the, the the game has has been out for I don't I don't actually know quite how long for probably a few months now. Um, yeah. How how much attention do you pay to the the reception or in this case what feels like kind of a again the traps the kind of lack of reception it feels like um, people are yeah, just not sure. not covering it at all. Like, do you pay yeah. attention to that? And is that um, is that something that you know Toad Man as a company is trying to figure out how to to combat? Uh. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's there's always like if you get negative reception or even worse, if you get no reception at all, it's really hard to like I don't know really the world, but like get yourself up on the horse again and start mm-hmm. like start making the next game and feel inspired. But as older you get the easier it gets i think it was for me because i've been in the industry for 12 years it was a lot harder for my first game than it is for this if the reception was bad or just read something that someone didn't like no it's guess to me but uh, it's probably something people don't really know but i think most game developers read pretty much everything like we listen to podcasts we look at user reviews and we read comments everywhere uh, so it can be really emotional when people start writing like pretty evil things about your game and and at the same time um you know i you know, I, I got I I learned from this learned about this game from the, my friends over at the Twin Humanities podcast who uh, picked it up and and played it at the I don't actually remember what they said how they found out about it. I think the the YouTuber Sunlight Blade was involved somehow. I don't I don't quite remember how they got started, but um, th- their podcast is is known for being extremely um, effusive about the things that they love. And uh, I, I knew them from the Dark Souls community, and I've been friends with those guys for a long time, so I, I trust them. And um, I told this story to them on their podcast, but I was um, I was at a bar having a couple of pints of beer, and I was just like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just buy it on PSN right now. <laughs> so, um, and, and I think that more people, as they start um, hearing other people talk about it, will there? I'm, I'm hopefully hopefully there'll be kind of a groundswell and people paying attention to this game and trying to at, at least giving it a try because. Again, like I said at the beginning, there's been you know the the Salt and Sanctuary's got so much attention, and I love that game, but you know that the, it got so much attention compared to something like this, which I think is very much more in the ideal 
of what you want from a Souls game in terms of story and level design and combat encounters. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, gets, this is from from a personal perspective. Like this is one of the games that I'm really really proud about. I really love Immortal. And it's been such a such a weird journey creating it. It's been super interesting and fun and almost horrible at the same time. And I really want people to play it and try it out, even if they don't like it. I, I just, I want it to be out there. Yeah, I'm waiting for you guys to uh, extend a sale in the U.S. so I can just start buying copies and giving them to my friends. Like, that, <laughs> that's what I did with Dark Souls One, and I've got no problem doing that with this game either because uh, I think I think it deserves to be played. I think it deserves more attention um, to, to to get out there. Yeah. What do you um? And I, I I don't I don't I know you guys can't talk about like future plans for Toad Man or anything, but um, what are what are some lessons that you took from the development and the design process of Immortal and Shane that you're going to take into whatever you're developing next or whatever whatever the next uh, passion project is over at Toad Man? Wow, uh, probably do most of it the same <laughs> because I think that <laughs> do it the same but with twice the budget and twice the people, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But we learned a lot. But I think I'm I'm kind of surprised that everything kind of went so smooth as it did. Like we did, we actually took the right decisions when we did them, when we should. So I'm, I'd say I like just think about what we did in Mortal and do it again with yeah twice the budget, <laughs> twice the time. <laughs> Do you think that, uh, you know, going back to those conversations, those, um, as, as you call them, the, the battles between the, you know, level design and narrative and enemy enemy behavior and things like that, do you think that making those compromises and getting to those those points would be easier now, having done it the first time? Um, yeah, definitely, I think. Because we also kind of... In a way, because we're a really new studio, I think we really learned how to communicate to each other. And we try to kind of establish this mythology or this philosophy that everyone, like everyone in the studio is responsible for their part. But as a whole, we're also all responsible for creating the games we want to make. So everyone is is motivated to to feedback on everything and everyone should be open to get feedback from everyone as well so we have a super open discussion about everything and if i think something is bad i'm i have the right and i'm uh, i should go to the responsible person and talk about it and that created a really like strong and communicative environment at the office and a really creative environment as well because we we kind of learned that we don't have to get along all the time as long as we come up with a some kind of solution to everything and all the problems that's fine like we're, like we're still friends even though we don't have the same opinions about everything sure yeah and yeah welcome to the dark souls community on that one because <laughs> <laughs> we all like to argue about everything but we all love each other at the end too well yeah. i guess most of us do maybe not all of us <laughs> Um, Johannes, thank you so much for for spending the time and talking about uh, Immortal Interactive and uh, everything else about this. This was such a such a privilege to be able to interview you about all of this stuff. And um, again, I know I've I've been pretty effusive during the podcast, but I just I just want to say like for for every negative review out there that you you may have seen and t- taken to heart, like there's there's more and more people that are getting onto it, like me and CJ and Patty and Dave and several other people and several other of our friends who were picking it up and just absolutely falling in love with it. So I think you've really, oh, you, you, very much. you and your group have developed something really great. So. Wow. Thank you. And I think that's the most important part that someone likes it. And it's super, we super much appreciate it. Uh, where, you. where can we find all of your stuff on the internet? I think the easiest way to find it is our official Toadman interactive facebook page or okay. immortal change facebook page or on twitter i think it's immortal unchanged okay and i'll uh i'll have links to all of that in the show notes um, so that if anybody's listening the game is out on psn on xbox live on steam at this exact moment um I'm not even going to ask you if you're going to bring it to Switch because that's a mean question. <laughs> um, uh, 
that uh, it's highly recommended. Obviously, if you've been paying attention to my Twitter at all, or if you've been paying attention to CJ's and Patty's, then you, you absolutely know we've been having a good time. Um, so d- definitely go check it out. Uh, it's at the time of recording, it's on sale in the European market for I think sixteen pounds. Um, that may still be there by the time this comes out. I'm not sure, but uh, if you if, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably see me retweeted already. So. Um, once again, Johannes, thank you very much for guesting. I very much appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to all of the different ways that you can support the show, including just listening to episodes, pledging to the Patreon, buying a t-shirt if you want to put a skelly on your belly. I appreciate everybody and that has done that up to this point. Thank you very, very much. We've also gotten some really nice reviews lately, so very much appreciate everyone taking the time to go through the rigmarole that is Apple Podcast and reviewing this podcast for us. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with a very special guest that I'm very excited about that I won't name because I'm terrified that if I name it, say things out loud, that it won't come true. But I'm very excited about it next week's guest. Um, and until then, remember, don't give up, Skeleton. And we're good. Cool. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much. I thought that Thank was... Thank you. It was um, easier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a hard hitting you know gaming journalist or anything. I just I just really like the game. I wanted to talk to you about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. I think that's something I forgot to talk about as well about the reception. I think this I think there's been a bit of a misconception among some players that it's a shooter, and mm-hmm. I think that's why we got a bit of bad press as well. That people buy it and think it's a shooter, and it's definitely not. Yeah, you can't you can't really play it like a shooter at all. Um, no. Exactly. Yeah, when I when I describe this, it's, it's very much you know, it, it's you have guns, but you don't just want to shoot stuff in the face as they're running to you. Like you want to be tactical about it. Like you have yeah, limited amount of ammunition and things. So it's a weird strategy, strategic shooter, strategic shooter in a sense. Kind of. Yeah, it, it's like a, it's like an action XCOM almost. Like it's almost yeah. that that kind of tactical. You know, but it's not it's not anywhere in turn based.